Can I sing the theme song? <laughs> yeah, yo, do you remember the theme song? to uh, the special 10th episode of the Game Dev Origins podcast with me, your host, Lewis Thompson. And today I'm joined by the musical sensation himself, Harun. Harun, welcome. Uh, hello, Lewis, and everyone listening out there on the internet. How's everyone doing? How's everyone doing? <laughs> yeah, so, um, yeah, that, that intro was something. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Um, yeah, so welcome to the podcast. Obviously, um, we knew each other at, at work for a bit. I don't, I don't know how long we were kind of working together for. We didn't we, talk too much, but like, we, we were yeah, obviously no. were in the same area and stuff, so. Yeah, I think I, we only started talking, I think like late 2022, like mid to late 2022, because that's when like you started asking me for like some uh QA help and support because I kind of kind of kind of jumped in the gun a little bit but I used to be like embedded environment art tester at cloud but like yeah I, I was kind of more with the environment artist and I kind of gave a little bit of support for you until you got Tom on board yeah yeah because um that oh, I mean yeah it was rough until then like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like having an embedded QA is like it's so I absolutely love it now because like whenever I need like Tom always is always testing my, my my shit in the background pretty much um and it's it's just so handy to have like just a direct contact and he knows what he's doing and like when i get like bugs and stuff um with like limited information i can just send it to him and he goes and, like beats people up basically bullies them for more information <laughs> which is amazing it's like my own personal like bodyguard send him off to do bits so yeah like nah. um yeah go ahead go ahead I was going to say, like, yeah, no, Tom's, like, amazing. Like, he's such a great dude. And Michael as well. Like, I do really miss them. They were always a great laugh um, when I was there. Yeah, I'm, I'm chatting to Mike. Like, honestly, when you left, I was like, oh, shit. Like, I, I didn't realise, like, it's like, I didn't realise what I had to like, till you left. Because, <laughs> obviously, like, <laughs> I chatted to you a little bit about, like, some of the, um, some of the, like, presentations and stuff you've done and, like, some advice for, for like, how to get involved for, like, cert, um, certain bits. Because I think I had like a few um, school talks and stuff that I was going to to do, and I know that you'd done like a load of presentations. So when you left, I was like, "Oh, now uh, <laughs> I'm, I've got to keep my my embedded QAs close now and and <laughs> and make sure I'm talking to them because I'm I'm very guilty at work of not like uh, being too social with people outside of my circles. So definitely fr- more friendly with Michael and stuff." Uh, like after you left, because I was like, no, can't lose anyone else. No, I do keep in contact with Mike. I think we was chatting to him not too long ago, just just to see how he's uh, how he's getting on as well. He seems to be doing alright so far. Yeah, no, I, I, he's sound. He's always very he's very cheerful around the office. Like very cheerful. Like he's always he's always uh, coming past and like saying things, making me laugh. So shout out to Michael. So we how, love you, Michael. We look, we do. We love you very much. 
Um, so how long how long ago was it that you left? It was like five five months ago. Was it April? I think it, it was about it's about six months now. Yeah, I left in like the first week of April. Yeah. And what you, you so what are you doing now? Because I know you've you've become a producer now, right? I know I've gone to the dark side. I've uh, <laughs> I have become a producer. I'm an associate producer for No Breaks Games. They are known for uh, Human Fall Flat, and I'm actually working on the sequel, Human Fall Flat Two. Oh, that's amazing! I I I really enjoyed Human Fall Flat, and um, I mean, what's your take on the the Unity news that's happened? I don't know if you're able to talk about that, but. I mean, I can give you my own personal opinion. Yeah, about yeah, yeah, it. of course. Like, I, 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 can, I can say that like the company did do a statement saying that you know we're not happy about it, and I'm, I'm, I'm very annoyed at like what Unity is doing. It's, it's definitely them just being like super greedy. They're just trying to get that that Genshin Impact money. <laughs> They're just trying to find anywhere to get that money. <laughs> it's, 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 it's frustrating. It's annoying because like, you know, Human Fall Flat is made in. Unity, so it's the sequel. We've said that in our in our statement, mm-hmm. um, and it's just like it's kind of it's literally like flipped the whole industry upside down right now because like like and it's not just the games industry that's kind of like reeling from this. It's also like the education sector as well because this is like this is a huge turning point because you know it's broken trust with the independent uh, game scene, um, you know because it's it's going to make a lot of people worry about you know if they become successful enough they're gonna start losing money and it's like it's like unity like like hitting you saying how dare you be successful <laughs> like like if you want to start like to build your 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 fan base or whatever like if you start hitting like a certain threshold you're starting you're gonna start losing money and god forbid you get like a disgruntled like gamer who will just like maliciously install your games hundreds if not thousands of times just to bankrupt you but then the onus is on you to kind of contact Unity to tell them that hey, you know, some some I'm not trying not to swear, but some person is like you know doing this to try to like financially bankrupt me, and it's just like you know that's something that was that was that's the equivalent of like I wouldn't say it's equivalent of swatting, but it's like it's that kind of uh, uh, more review bombing actually. It's like review bombing, but like a million times worse because it's going to actually impact like people's wages. And like I do like as you know like. I do a bunch of side projects and I'm trying to make my own little Unity game. And I genuinely had to have a discussion with my team to be like, what do we do? Because I can't program. It's... Are we, we're going to have to stick with Unity and just pray that they're going to change their decision. And, and I think like in the next coming days, we're going to hopefully see them do a 180. Yeah, like um, I saw a statement saying that they're cooking something up basically, but... Um... Yeah, no, it's mental. And, um, you know, when they were being asked, like, how they would track, like, installs and stuff like that, um, I, I, for context, I believe, like, the whole the whole strategy is, like, per install, right? When you get charged per yeah. install, basically, when you get to a certain threshold. Um, and, yeah, like, they were just, like, you know, devs were, like, how are you tracking this? And they're, like, they, they kept copy and pasting the same response, Um that I kept seeing and it was like you know oh we have like a proprietary system that, that tackles it and it's like we can't disclose like <laughs> how it actually works and it's like hang on <laughs> you're tracking it via a system that we're not even now allowed to know like how do we know you're just not you know bsing us pretty much and exactly. like 
yeah, like I, there was I, there was one dev that I saw that was like, "You woke up this morning and now I owe Unity like five uh, five million or something, <laughs> five million USD." It's like, it's crazy, man. Like even like I didn't I didn't know about like Unity's kind of history because I I know that they've like uh, I I think they've done some some sketch stuff before in terms of like strategy and stuff like that, but yeah, this is like blatantly like. I don't understand how anyone like signed off on that. I think I, I think I think even like the workers themselves are kind of blind. I, I think like everyone's blindsided. I feel like it's just like a decision made up from the higher ups and like the poor people that work at Unity that do the day to day job have to kind of like somehow deal with this mess now. Like well, I don't blame anyone who kind of does like the groundwork at Unity. It's definitely like the leadership that are trying to do this. Yeah, I mean, I read something saying about, um, about the current CEO, like, apparently used to work at, like, EA, at DICE or something, and he was, like, advocating for a version of Battlefield where, like, you basically had to pay every time you, like, reloaded your magazine. Like, you get charged, like, for a microtransaction <laughs> fee. And, like, I was like, oh, my God, like, I'm not surprised if there's, like, someone that's done that in charge. Like, that's cursed. Especially I think one thing... I I think one thing I don't know if it's been spoke about a lot on on online like on on Twitter or anything is like the impact this will have on students because mm-hmm. like as you probably know yourself like I think a lot of students that do like a BSc or in like game design or games programming you're most likely going to be learning in Unity because you know C sharp is way easier to learn in comparison to like C plus plus you know if you want to do like object oriented programming yeah C sharp's the best way to start and what's going to happen to those students because now they're at like a crossroads like if unity you know you know if they're saying they're, they're going to keep this then that means that like developers will either switch to different game engines or go to unreal or whatever and that means that that pool of unity developers is going to start shrinking and then students are going to be kind of left like okay i've learned this program that no one's using now because of this horrible policy like where where, where do i go like like you know i think that's an element of it that's I think he probably needs a bit more discussion as well. Yeah, I mean, that didn't, didn't even cross my mind, to be honest, originally. Like, I was just thinking about all the games that already exist. But yeah, future future projects, right? No one's, you know, they're going to be learning it. And then, yeah, the, the jobs will get a studio shift away from it because of the obvious. Uh, I mean, obviously, like, for students' own projects as well, like, just trying to learn. Like, I know a lot of students um, from my university that actually, like, you know, built games while they were there. Um, and actually had some success with some of them. Um, and like, you know, what the implications of this new pricing strategy is, you know, if your game ever becomes successful, you're just going to have a bunch of it taken away, which is kind of demoralizing, right? You're going to work hard to bring a product to market and then someone just takes a cut. The more successful you are, the more successful, the bigger the cut. And it just, yeah, it, it, it kind of, it just sucks, bro. <laughs> it really it sucks. Really it's a really sucky policy. Like, oh my god, how could any? Ah, oh, yeah, I don't know. Anyway, you should probably move Roy from <laughs> that negativity. <laughs> I started with that. I was like, oh, <laughs> this will break the ice. <laughs> just hit him with that. So, um, so talk to me. So you, you're you're associate producer for yeah. six months. Tell me, tell me about. So we were talking a little bit before the podcast started about you know, your, like, where you actually, where you actually are. Um, so obviously, like, you're now, you're now working abroad, technically, right? Uh, yes, I am. Uh, 
No Breaks Games is based in... We've got two studios. We've got one in Lithuania and one in Tenerife, which is where I'm based. Mm-hmm. And uh, so far, how has it been? Like, Have you worked abroad before? Like, Or did you start just in the UK? Like, How does it compare to what you've experienced before? This is my first time like working abroad. I think like... I, I really loved, I, I said this to like Eddie when I was there and I said this to everyone when I was at Cloud, like I, I genuinely loved working at Cloud. I, I, I honestly saw myself just like staying there for like a very long time. But I think after COVID, oh sorry, during COVID, I kind of realized I was a bit more extroverted than I was. Mm-hmm. And I was kind of like, okay, I'm nearly 30, like I turned 30 at the end of this month. And I've this, I've never really traveled abroad. I've never worked abroad. Like I've had friends that I've, you know, t- took a year out to go travel i remember um when i became a teacher liam who's I, I took over his job because he got married he went off for a year to travel the world with his wife and it's like i've only just been in bradford or like in sort of like the north of the in- england and that's it mm-hmm. and after covid lift i was like i had this drive to be like i want to i want something different i want something new and so i was like i want to work abroad i want to i want to experience what it's like being in a different co- uh, country in a different culture and just seeing like how I would adapt to that. Um, so yeah, so I applied for No Breaks. Um, initially, I was I applied for their QA lead role, but that was already filled because <laughs> I wanted to kind of keep being a QA. I quite liked being in QA. Mm-hmm. But then they said, hey, you know, maybe you could go for the associate producer. And I'm like, yeah, why not? I think like, you know, new job, new location. You know, like I, I always have that kind of that, that that hunger and drive to learn more about game development, like any aspect of it. So, you know, I, I studied to be an, art, an artist that didn't kind of turn out well, you know, got into QA, really enjoyed that, got into teaching, really enjoyed that. And now I'm getting into production and I'm finding my feet now with with it. With it. Um, and just, you know, kind of like learning and exploring like what it means to be a producer and just, you know, enjoying the, the island life. <laughs> just always sunny and like beaches nearby. So that's another bonus. Yeah, I mean, that sounds perfect, man. Like, uh, like what's the weather like there at the moment? Because we, we've just had like loads of rain tonight. But we had like a week of just blazing hot weather last week. It's been kind of like just switching out. What's it like over there at the moment? Like, is I'm it looking as... on my phone right now. It's apparently it's 28 degrees. It's it's always consistently in like the mid 20s. Like every day, it's like 25 degrees or more. Mm-hmm. Like I don't think I, I don't think I've had it like go over that. Like um, yeah, like I, yeah, I know. Like I think at one point it was actually hotter in the UK than it was here, um, because they had the heat wave and stuff. But yeah, no, like I honestly <laughs> like I've hardly had any rain. Like I, I felt like even when because like I've been kind of like back and forth between Tenerife and the UK whilst I've been waiting for my visa, mm-hmm. um. And I said to my friends uh, and my family, it's like, we've not had summer, like, at all in the UK. <laughs> it just <laughs> felt like all of it. It was just constantly raining. It's like, what the, where is the sun? Like, what, what is going on? While you've been there, do you feel like the, your mood's improved because of the weather? Like, do you, do you notice, like, a, a difference while you're there? Because I know, like, yeah. in the UK, you get that seasonal depression that just never goes away. <laughs> <laughs> I do think... I do think I do actually, yeah. I think like it helps. I'm actually getting some vitamin D. Like, like I think like just I think you know, genuinely I think like you know having like you know being more exposed to the sun probably does like help. Like I remember like when I would get up for work in the UK, and this is like either working remotely for no breaks or at cloud, like just feeling like constantly exhausted. I mean, I still deal with like exhaustion. I feel like maybe that's part of it is probably being slightly burnt out. I'm not sure, but um, 
you know, I'd get up and I'm just really exhausted. I'll come back home and I'm exhausted, even if I was working out, even if I was working at home. But here I'm kind of like, I feel like I have more energy because like I have to get up, I have to walk to work in the sun and it's nice. You know, it's always, it's always bright, vibrant. It doesn't, it doesn't feel like I'm as exhausted as I used to be. Maybe it's because cause I'm in a different surrounding, different, you know, different experience, kind of like, maybe that kind of like changes like how I view things mentally, maybe. I'm not sure. You walk along the beach on the way to work or something, you get the beautiful Oh, <laughs> the sadly, beautiful it's like, <laughs> sadly, it's up a hill, so you're going towards the mountainous area, so it's just like up the hill. If you're from like Yorkshire or anything, you're probably used to it, it's just going up and down bloody hills all the time. Like, Tenerife is surprisingly hilly. <laughs> I didn't realise that when <laughs> when I got here. Yeah, I used to go when I was a kid, and like I used to love it. Like it, it, it almost it just feels so different. Like the just the heat, like being able to to, to be near the water and stuff, and then yeah, the the hills as well. Like I absolutely I, used to love going on holiday. Um, in terms of like, time, go I was gonna say like every like every day, like when I walk back towards my Airbnb because I walk down the hill, like I can just literally just see the ocean. So every day, I'm just seeing the sea and like. For me, like that's just a beautiful sight. Like it never gets boring just seeing like you know the the beautiful blue ocean. Like it, it's just like, there's something about it. It just it's just very sort of relaxing and calming. Yeah, like I'm we've we've tried this year to go visit the water some more because like usually I'm just like a mainlander. I just <laughs> there's never have any water near. <laughs> and like um we've been to like the Lake District this year and like you know over to the sea like went went to Blackpool a few times and just walk along like the beach and. Yeah, it's just it's it's beautiful. It's just something about like looking out and just not seeing anything but ocean, and it's ah, oh, it's such a nice feeling. We want to like eventually move somewhere where we've got like a view of like either like a really big lake or like an ocean or something. Like just it's just so calming. That is the dream. Well, you're living the dream. What do you mean? <laughs> you're living the... You're literally just said. I have, I have, yeah, I have, I have yeah, literally. That's the dream, mate. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so um obviously going into a new role as producer right like what how how different is that to adapt to compared to qa like i, I imagine there's a lot of skills that transfer like is there much you've had to adapt to like in this new role i think like it's a natural transition from qa to production because especially if you're working like so like a senior role in in, in qa like you you're always talking and communicating with production like on a on a daily basis so you kind of pick up like through osmosis like how things are done yeah. like even when i was embedded at cloud like you know I, i'd attend the daily stand-ups i'd go to the sprint reviews like i kind of learn like the agile methodology just by observing you know fraser stefano emily all the producers that i've been in so it's like oh, okay i kind of understand like how this is done and we have like a we don't, we don't really use like agile at no breaks we have kind of like a, like a different system it's kind of based off it but it's like I, I was able to kind of adapt what i saw like stefan and other producers doing and integrate that into me doing it at my current job it it, it was difficult because i'm kind of like i'm kind of more naturally in, introverted like even though i do like a lot of talks and stuff like i i do get nervous like talking to like a group of people um but I've, it's it kind of helped me push me to kind of be more confident again because like, I, I usually more com- uh, uh, confident public speaking um, like a few years ago and I kind of lost that skill and I've kind of been slowly developing it again um, and so it's kind of pushed me to kind of like to do, to, to do better. I, it, it was a difficult transition a little bit because like I'm so used to like the QA process like I had pretty much 
I don't want to say mastered, like I don't want to give myself a big ego or anything, but it's like <laughs> I I knew what I was doing as a as embedded queue. Like I I was on it. Like if anyone ever asked me for like a bug or like how to bug something or advice and stuff, I knew exactly what I was doing. I knew I knew I knew everything. I knew the process. I knew everything that that I had to do. So going from that to being like a new starter, that was a really weird like transition because like I'm back to like square one being like, oh, I don't know anything <laughs> and like that kind of like nervousness like like definitely some imposter syndromes like a little bit in that first month being like i don't know anyone i don't know the the processes as well as as well as everyone else but i think like what advice i got from like satara and like other people is just like you know it's your first month just take your time you're gonna you're gonna adapt you're gonna understand everything and now that i'm i think like six months into my role i feel like way more confident now i think my first like month or two um you know still trying to find my feet but i think by my third month onwards i, f- I feel like way more confident because i'm doing that role day to day i have a supportive team so if i if i'm not sure about something i can always just reach out to anyone else and i can get a refresh like oh yeah this is what you do on monday or orange i'm like oh, okay cool and i just like you know constantly try to do like self-development self-improvement to make sure that i'm doing the best job that i possibly can yeah i feel like that's like a you know a good natural progression to be honest because like um i i felt the same so when i was at ubisoft um i did like weapon art for like two years and i felt like i got to a point where i was just kind of like i I know this role now i know how to do it like none of the tasks that i was being given was like i didn't feel like i was learning anything more from it um but yeah, I think that feeling you get when you obviously do start a new role somewhere, like that that feeling of like that imposter syndrome, right? And and like you don't know anything and you're back to square one. That is a really good place to be because that just means that you're you're gonna develop your confidence. You're gonna you know put yourself under pressure to learn and and that's where that's where the development happens, right? When you're you're least comfortable, when you get more confident, I feel like that's when you you, you know you, you know what you're doing and and you you kind of your growth kind of slows down the more confident you get almost um <laughs> absolutely but yeah like that those first couple of months are like terrifying especially in a new role like i remember joining cloud and i was like doing like a you know went from weapons to props and i was like oh this must be like pretty similar nope completely new workflow completely new tools completely new like pipeline like it <laughs> it's, it's a lot to learn um but yeah stick at it and and you end up picking it up, and yeah, mate, it sound, already sounds like you're you're doing really well. Um, and in terms of your like nervousness, I get that like a hundred percent. With like, you know, I'm actually quite introverted myself, and you know, this this was one of the reasons I actually started this podcast as well, just to kind of build those social skills a bit more. Because yeah, like I I, I suck at talking to strangers, to be honest. And like you you know, obviously I I spoke to you at work a little bit, but um you know like i said outside of my circles i kind of just avoid people i don't really you know i even now i don't really talk to many of the environment guys um and yeah this podcast is kind of like a way for me to kind of like try and get over my fear of talking to new people and like it's a cool way to learn some new things as well um so yeah i'm actually like i'm super grateful that you because um you reached out to come on and talk and yeah i i I was like, hell yeah, let's get you on because, again, like when we spoke, I I felt I feel like in that in that respect we're kind of cut from the same cloth. We 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 both kind of want to give 
to the community, but are also very <laughs> introverted, which is not like the, the skill set you'd imagine like someone like that having. So yeah, I 100% get how you feel with that. Yeah, it's definitely as well. It's like I I love talking about game. I love talking about games, like not just like what games come out, but like you know the development process, any kind of news and stuff that's going on industry, promoting it to people. Like that's when like I think my confidence kind of comes out a lot. It's like you know I'm happy to like stand up and do a talk at like EGX or whatever because I'm talking about like a subject that I'm really passionate about. But when it comes to networking and like wanting to introduce myself to new people, I get really anxious and like, <laughs> like I get very nervous. Like, that's why I started bringing friends to networking events um, because I feel like it just kind of helps to kind of ease, ease it a little bit. Like if I know I have someone there to kind of talk to, if there's, if I, you know, if I'm by myself, it's like, okay, we can just yeah. chat to each other or whatever. And I can introduce people, you know, and then hopefully get like a little group of people that I can chat to. Um, which has kind of made this weird effect where my friends think I'm like cool now. <laughs> my friends think I'm like 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 oh, Harry's this really cool like game dev person. He does all these sort of different things. It's like the reason I'm bringing you here is because you're like my emotional support human being. <laughs> <laughs> nah, you are cool, man. Like honestly, like the vibe you give off is like I, I remember like that first interaction. Like I think our first interaction was quite like uh, quite awkward to begin with. Because I was like, and I was like, I was kind of shocked by it because I was like, oh my god, like, like I've got to talk to Haroon, I've got to ask him for some advice. And we both kind of like had a few moments where we just stopped talking. And I was like, wait, he's just like me. He's as nervous as I am. This is not good. <laughs> I was hoping you'd carry half the conversation. And we both kind of like, we spoke to each other and stuff. But um, yeah, no, it's it's um, the, the, the image you give off from like the stuff you do, you come across quite confident. And obviously like, it's just testament to that whole thing where like you know what you see on the outside is not necessarily like it, it i feel like it is the passion that carries a lot of that that energy right and you are clearly like a very passionate developer like i see it in the way that you talk about you know what you do um i see it in your presence you know in education and, and through the various things you do which we can obviously talk about in a bit as well which would be cool to talk about like limit break and stuff um but yeah, it, it's like, honestly like uh, the passion's great because it, it's almost like a it's that front for confidence, right? Um, I think that's why I love games so much because I like without games, I am a very quiet kind of timid person. But when I can get stuck into that kind of stuff, um, brings people together, especially at work. Like we had a new starter today, and like um, you know, like just talking about games to them immediately you've got like a conversation going and like you've got common ground and it just builds from there it's it's powerful <laughs> video games bringing people together as always as always so tell me a bit about limit break so because um i want to like talk about that just because i know it's something we're both involved in um yeah, tell sure. us tell us about your work for limit break yeah, so just for anyone who doesn't know, uh, Limit Break is uh, one of the UK's biggest uh, mentorship programs for people who are either in the industry who want to kind of up level them scale up level themselves, or people who are wanting to kind of change jobs from like their current industry to uh, into games. Um, it's specifically aimed towards people from marginalised groups, so that's like say marginalised genders, sexualities, uh, BIPOCs, or people so people of people of colour. Um, and so I got involved with Limit Break, I think it was 2020 or 2021. I mean, I've lost the concert at times since COVID, but like, um, <laughs> so I, 
I remember seeing um, them advertising that um, it was the first year they're opening up to remote um, mentorships because it was originally London based. And so they say, like, okay, because it's COVID, like, you know, we're doing remote mentorships. And also they opened up to um, uh, people of color because I'm dual heritage, like part English, part Pakistani. Um, so I really wanted to kind of like develop some of my leadership skills, you know, because I mentioned like I'm making my own little game. So I wanted to be like a better producer, a better leader for like my little team of friends that were making this game. Um, so it was, it was great because I, I managed to get a, a mentor who was uh, Simon Barrett, who was the... CEO of Cooperative Innovations in Leeds, like he's like, which is like a VR company. He's a great dude, and I've kept in contact with him since then. Um, because I'd, I'd always see him at like events in the north, but obviously, like if you ever go to like networking events, you don't really get a chance to talk to someone. You could talk to them for like four or five minutes, but like they're in like the sort of like the the showman or show person um sort of persona where they have to like you know talk to people about their games or whatever. So it's like having like that one to one conversation was was really great. And after after that year, um, I really loved like what Late Break was doing, and they did a call out for volunteers to do it every year for their different teams. Um, so I applied because like I I really I really believe in what they're doing, and Anissa brought me on. Initially, I was going to be on the sponsorship team because I didn't really know where to put me. <laughs> <laughs> um, but then they realized, hey, you have a I have a background. You have like a background in uh, teaching. You used to be a teacher. How do you feel about um, working in the training team? Because it, it wasn't really a team yet. Like they wanted to do like training about like mentorship and allyship um, uh, for people in, in the games industry, but they didn't really have anyone to kind of like to do that with. So it was initially me and uh, Chinzia, um, who is like the core CEO of Code Coven now. Um, so we worked together last year, in 2022. Um, to run uh, training sessions with in collaboration with Inter Games because they do their champions their champions training. It's like different companies will buy into it. They'll do like training sessions on like say um, I think public speaking and other stuff. And one of the training sessions is with us at Limit, Limit Break. Mm-hmm. So I've had like sessions with like various different companies um, around the UK to kind of promote not just Limit Break but you know promote like mentorship and um, and allyship. And I also became a mentor myself, which is really great as well. So being able to help other people from like marginalized groups, um, you know, find the the motivation to um, get into the games industry because it's it's a it's an amazing feeling being able to kind of like impart some knowledge and wisdom <laughs> onto someone. Um, like my mentee Leaf, uh, they were a Twitch streamer. And they wanted to get into the games industry. Now I know nothing about Twitch. I do not watch <laughs> Twitch. <laughs> I am. Um, I've definitely gotten to the age now where like I am so out of touch with what people do. I don't have a TikTok or anything. I'm, I don't understand like half the things anymore. I think I'm just gonna uh, accept I'm an old man. <laughs> <laughs> and so like I was like, hey, I, I don't know anything about like community management. Don't know anything about Twitch. But I know like how to find jobs in the games industry. I know like where to look for. I have a good idea about like how to kind of tailor your um cv towards the industry and i think like i think they didn't realize like what transferable skills they had because i think a lot of times when people apply for jobs in the industry they they only think about like oh yeah have you worked at a actual games company but it's like there are so many skills that can be transferred from different jobs that are applicable for a job in the industry and i'm i help them see that and like i remember what we're looking at, like uh community management jobs and I, I would tell leaf like you could do this job 
like you've got like ten thousand followers on Twitch. Like that's not nothing. That is something. You know what I mean? Like you could easily be a community manager. And I think like it was like three months into our mentorship that I managed to help them get a job, and they just recently completed like their first year in the industry. And I'm so proud that I was able to help in like in a very small way. Because I always say to people like, you know, I I I just like it's like the the scene in the Matrix where like Morpheus goes to Neo like I can only show you the door like it's it's up to you to walk <laughs> through it like I can I can give that advice and that support, but ultimately it's up to the mentee to you know take that advice and run with it. That's amazing because like uh, that that's a huge huge result. That's a huge W for you, mate. Like, <laughs> and for them as well. Like uh, I I have like a a similar so with one of my mentees um. He's a concept artist, um, and I obviously I'm I'm not a concept artist. I'm a three D artist. So you know, he reached out to me and said, you know, uh, I know I know you're not a concept artist, but like it would be really cool um, to basically talk to you about like careers and stuff, and like get some advice about that. And we've been talking a lot since it's obviously I've been a mentor this year basically, um, and it is honestly terrifying. I thought it was going to be like a breeze, but it it really is kind of like. I don't really have any teaching experience and it's something I'm trying to work on. Um, and yeah, for, for me, the mentorships are kind of like selfish in the way that it's kind of a way for me to develop my organization a little bit and to train me in that aspect. Um, but yeah, like mentoring is scary, man. It's a big, it always feels like a big responsibility. Um, I will, I will say like, I don't think you should see it as being selfish. I think like a mentorship is, like there's a difference between a mentorship and like being a te- like being a teacher or a lecturer, because like there is like a power imbalance because obviously like the lecturer is like say at the top, like you know there's a student they're learning from them, the, the lecturer's accessing them. But with a mentorship, I always tell people like it's a level playing field. It doesn't matter mm. if you're a lead, a CEO, whatever. Like you are both equals in that matter. And and you, I think the important thing uh, what makes a successful mentorship is that you both gain something from it. So I don't I wouldn't. Don't see it as you being selfish because you're not. Because like they're learning from you, they're getting great advice from you, and you're also learning from them as well. So it's a it's a mutual thing. Yeah, I never I never thought about it, about it like that really. Yeah, that's a yeah. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like oh, just this is why I love these conversations because honestly, like half the time, like you know, during these podcasts, I'm learning like so much just by like listening and, and you know obviously like experience coming from different people as well like really helps um but yeah like uh like in this mentorship for example like um e- even though we're completely different disciplines like i'm helping him kind of understand that like he has the ability to do what he wants to to do like to be able to like learn and reach out to people um and his his problem is at the moment essentially like uh he'll he'll go to networking events and network with people but he's almost kind of too shy to reach out like outside of those opportunities and like recently i was just like right you've got to like you've got to just reach out and start start talking to people and like you know start those conversations and and not to worry and to just push yourself out there and um yeah this week i'm actually really proud of him as well because like he he's basically started like networking full-on like with people outside of events um and and getting feedback and stuff um we've had like a few sessions where i basically said you know i I can't advise you that much on your art because it's a different profession but i can advise you on like you know the career side and 
and where to go to for advice and yeah he started action in that now and it's like it's really really cool to see that happening and to see that kind of effect um that you're having on someone even if you're like a completely different discipline like just seeing the change in them and also the change in myself like i feel like i'm i'm definitely learning how to organize myself a bit better and also become a better mentor and obviously doing your like i i, I did some of your mentorship and allyship training as well um with chinzia um and yeah like it, it's it's eye-opening and you know there's so much so much that goes into it that you don't even think about from the outset it's it's really really awesome and like i honestly encourage anyone that like has some sort of experience like that experience will help someone like no matter how big or small that experience will help someone um so like yeah if you've got time volunteer because like it's it's a hella good experience (laughs) yeah it's yeah it's really great and like wait like like what you were saying as well it's like i always tell people as well like you know it it doesn't matter like you know you don't need to have like x amount of like game industry experience to, to, to have something of value like you know if you've lived a life you've got knowledge and experience that will be useful to someone even if you worked at like mcdonald's for like the last six years and only recently got in the industry that six seven years of working at mcdonald's isn't useless it's not pointless there are so many experiences both good and bad that you've learned um that you can pass on to someone else there's like a lot of transferable skills from there to your current your current job so i always try to emphasize that to people like you know don't just see it as like i'm really good at this particular skill set um and that means like i'm I'm a good mentor you know you could be the most amazing programmer in the world but if your social skills are rubbish <laughs> like <laughs> you're not going to be able to be a good a good mentor because it requires patience it requires you to be empathetic uh, empathetic which is the right word you need to have the like, emotional intelligence to kind of be able to support someone especially in a, you know they need a bit more time a bit more support as well i think that's a great thing with like limit break as well is like because it's specifically for like people from like marginalized groups i think one thing for me as well is like i've kind of been on this journey of like one relearning like you know what i used to do when i was a teacher but also it's actively allowed me to kind of learn more about allyship because chinzia like that's her mm. that that's their job you know they used to be like the um diversity and inclusion manager at um Splash damage, and obviously now with code covering, it's a lot about like sort of working with marginalized genders, like that. Like they are really knowledgeable in that. For me, coming into it, like I had a little bit of knowledge, but I didn't know much, and so so it's really kind of like pushed me to to want to learn more about like what people from different backgrounds are going through because we're all we all live in our own kind of like bubble. I think like you know having that having that sort of empathy to understand, to at least at least try to understand where other people are coming from. I think is really important because sometimes the advice that you give someone might not necessarily work for someone who is like from a different group because maybe there's issue with sort of like stereotyping etc that you know certain traits might be perceived differently if you're from like a different group for instance you know being being understanding of that and being like okay this advice not might not work yeah, uh, I yeah, kind of yeah. lost my <laughs> No, no, it's it, it's good. Like, um, I mean, on the allyship front, like that's that's another reason I took part is because like I honestly knew nothing about allyship until that session, and then I came out of that session and I was kind of I was a little bit overwhelmed to be honest because it's almost too much to fit into that one session. Like, I came away with a lot 
like a lot of a lot more knowledge than what I had originally, and I feel like I have a better understanding of it. But I, you know, I almost feel like yeah, you're right in in the respect like yeah, we do live in our own bubble, and like honestly, until that session, I was like, I I, I honestly like didn't even like a lot of the time I wouldn't even think about it. Obviously, like you do think about it, but not to that extent. And yeah, like just going into those mentorships with that mindset, like, you know, being patient, understanding that, you know, your circumstances are very like different to other people's and just having the mentorship's not like, you know, a uni course where you, you know, you're forcing them to, to, to get a certain grade or something. It's, it's gotta be a, you know, a, a different, a different pace and a pace of understanding where the mentee kind of dictates you know, the outcomes and the action is on them to to kind of take the actions they want during it. And you're there just to kind of support and, and do what you can and, and just be understanding. Um, and yeah, it's, it's still a complex topic for me. Um, but yeah, like before that, I literally, honestly, I, I had, I, I, I didn't know much about our relationship at all. And that's why, yeah. that's why it's worth mentioning because like, I really, I really like what Limit Break are doing. It's really, you know, eye opening for me. Um, and yeah, I, th- I think a lot of people should, should try and look into it and get involved as they can. I think it's super important. Yeah. Our, um, we usually open up applications around April time. So do keep an eye on that. Do keep an eye out for that next year. Um, I think I will say if you are in the UK games industry that's listening to this, like I highly encourage you to um, to sign up because we always want mentors. Uh, you know, the more mentors, the better. <laughs> yeah, I think the ratio this year is like insane, and it there's like so many mentees, but nowhere near enough mentors. Yeah, we've we've had to do a couple of call outs a few times on uh, on Twitter, you know, looking for like specific. Uh, types of mentors. I think I know. I think narrative design was one that we get like a lot of mentees for, but we didn't have enough mentors for. Um, I was trying to find like for myself this year, like I was trying to find like a, a QA mentee because um, I, was, I wasn't really ready to be like a production mentor because I'm, I haven't got enough experience. Yeah. Um, but I couldn't really find a uh, uh, a mentee. Although I did recently get one because there was like a list of like people that were left, um, and one of them was. Um, a guy Max, who I've recently started mentoring, uh, who's a teacher, and I and I think originally on his like his push file was like he wanted to learn or develop his 3D skills, but I reached out to him saying like, hey, I'm not a great 3D artist, but I used to teach game development, and I could probably help you when it comes to like lesson structures or just give general advice and like you know, um, on teaching game dev because I think because they're doing it at FE level, which is like 16 to 18 plus. Yeah, um, it's like post secondary it's like i think for any if there's any u.s listeners it's like the last two years of high school i i, I don't want to get into explaining like the complex like you like educational systems right now like yeah um so that's been really great like you know being able to be a, a mentor again this year i was genuinely worried i wouldn't be but like i'm really glad that like i've managed to find max oh yeah talking about experiences um let's let's do a quick sidetrack because now we're gonna go all the way back all the way back to your origin story i want to know basically like when when was the first time you ever figured out you wanted to work on video games um 
you know, where were you and, and what path did you take to get to where you are now? Yeah, sure. Let's let's go back in yeah, time, sure. shall we? Let's go back in time, shall we? <laughs> doodly, doodly. Oh, no. If anyone guess if anyone guessed that reference, congrats. Yeah, I'm not gonna explain that reference, but like if you know, you know, like oh no. Oh man, I miss I miss cringe E three. But um yeah. <laughs> but um yeah, like I've like I think like the generic answer a little bit is like oh I, I grew up playing games, um, <laughs> but like I did like I remember like my very first like experience like playing video games was on my uncle's Amiga, mm-hmm. Commodore Amiga. Like he I think he gave it to me when I was like around four or five years old, and then after that like my dad got me like a Sega Mega Drive. No, not Mega Drive. It was the Mass System. Then I got a Mega Drive. Then I got a PS One. So I kind of grew up playing like consoles. I remember just falling in love with them, like all like from like a very young age, and I always wanted to learn how to make games, and that followed me through uh, to secondary school as well. Like I knew I wanted to make video games. I think there was one point when I was in year ten that I was thinking of maybe becoming like a historian because I really got into like um, like history a bit. But then I think that was just a phase. <laughs> just a phase. Um, <laughs> yeah, history's just a phase. Um, <laughs> but yeah, but like I think that was the only time I ever thought like. I want to do something else besides um, being a part of the games industry. Like, I think I originally like because it wasn't really much knowledge. Because like I like I'm I'm born nineteen ninety three, so it's like I kind of grew up in like the early two thousands. Um, there wasn't really much knowledge about like how to make video games. So I remember like when I'd finished uh, secondary school, my dad, I told my dad like I want to I want to learn uh, how to make games, and my parents were very supportive um, about me going down this route. Um, I I do remember it's a very fond memory of mine is where like my dad took me to PC World. I think it's still it's not called PC World. I think it's called PC. It doesn't matter. But <laughs> but um uh we went to like some like computer shops and we asked like hey what software do you use to make games? And there was one person there who told us like oh yeah there's like stuff like Cinema 4D, uh, Maya, and I think we bought like a magazine. I don't know if they still make it anymore. It's a specific like 3D art magazine. I forgot what it's called. Um and so he even told us like oh there's like uh uh, fe college courses that you can go on to and i remember like after that um i looked up leeds college um to see what courses they offered they were, i think it was like a, a game development course it was more sort of technical co- course at the time mm-hmm. um but i then i went to like open day for bradford college um which is my hometown and i really liked what they were like they were offering because like it was saying oh you, you know you'll learn how you'll learn like um you'll learn 3d modeling you'll learn game engines at the time it was uh, unreal engine 3 um, so it was like Kismet and that kind of stuff. Um, and so I was like, yeah, I want to I do this. This is great. And I remember, like, again, like, just my first year at college. I don't know if did you ever, did, I think you went to college to study games as well, didn't you? I did I, I did IT at college. So oh. <laughs> I, I, didn't, I didn't have a games course. I was fuming because they had they had one, but they, like, shut it down the year that I, like, went. And I was like, what? <laughs> I was going to do that. And you just shut it down because of, like, low attendance or something, like. Yeah, I, I did IT, so. I, but I really enjoyed my co- my college course. I think the first year, what was really funny is, like, I, this was, like, 2010. So I think, like, games courses weren't as, like, widespread as they are now. And there wasn't many sort of, like, tutors that really knew how to do it. Like, Maz, who was, like, the person who started the games courses in Bradford College. Like, he was one that championed it and started it. Um, Like, he was all self-taught. Like you know, he taught us how to use, like uh, he taught us how to use like Unreal Engine and Game Engine and stuff. He was a great, he was a great tutor. 
but there really wasn't anyone that had that had games industry experience mm-hmm. and the people that kind of played around with like 3d and with, with 3d game engines and 3d software but no one that had kind of like a specialism there um i think it was one person but then he left to go into work in the industry <laughs> um but yeah i remember like not fully learning how to do um maya but at the time i didn't mind because it was just kind of great to kind of be in that kind of environment with other people that were interested in learning about games um i i really got invested in it i, I think i went kind of like a bit above and beyond than the other students because like i was i was really kind of learning it in my spare time as well um again i wasn't like amazing at it but like i i really wanted to learn i remember like i think the start of my second year at college my dad bought me uh my first ever gaming pc so i could actually like use maya i got like books on maya and was just like experimenting and learning like i think i was like one of the very few students that knew how to uv unwrap <laughs> oh my god so well, I was, like, <laughs> um but yeah so like i think after college i went to university that was like what was it 2012 to 2015 um and i think we might have had like a sort of like a similar experience um where i think a lot of the stuff that we were learning was outdated like i definitely improved on my art skills like i, I, I going into uni after college like the first year of uni i always tell us I, I even told us to my previous students like your first year at uni is like your first and second year at college because everyone's starting from like ground zero like everyone's like we're assuming you don't know anything and this year is just to kind of like to build up your skill sets so you can specialize in like your second and third year so i kind of like relearn i won't say relearn but like i kind of upskilled my 3d skills a bit more yeah um i think by the time i got to second year the ps4 and the xbox one had come out so a lot of the new techniques that were being implemented at a time in the industry we weren't being taught so we only learned like the old school texturing techniques so it was like diffuse specular normals so we didn't do pbr yeah like so we were already <laughs> yeah so we were already out of date uh. by the time i got into a second year so it's that really awkward transition of like you know between the seventh gen and the eighth generation of consoles of like the old techniques are kind of going out of fashion. It's like, yeah. That was actually the threshold year, I think, like where PVR like took off like that time. Because I remember when I got to uni, it was like it it had just started before I got to uni, and I think I was like two or three years behind you. Because I remember like I was working at Game when the Xbox One and the PS4 launched, so yeah. I would have been like a few years before. But yeah, you must have been like right on that threshold of where it was just changing. <laughs> it's like the <laughs> worst of- look ever. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, to be fair, I think what makes it even worse look was like when I started uni in 2012, like September 2012, that was the first year that the tuition fees went up. So I was the one of the first like cohorts of students where it was nine grand. You know, the worst thing is though, Lewis, I'm going to tell you right now, yeah, the fact that I can actually say to some people now that I had it better than you. Like that's how... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> i'm gonna try not to swear that's how bad it is in the uk right now like like my brother went to uni and like i think his tuition fees it wasn't like 10 grand or anything but it was like 9250 i don't know why they need that extra 254 but like but there's like no grants so it's all like it's all loans and yeah i know like the loans aren't that bad but it's still like there's like there was like no grants at least when i went i had three thousand pounds worth of grants i got i got a thousand pound each year in grants like for maintenance um, whereas now, like you, that doesn't exist anymore. You have to get maintenance loans, so you're just constantly just putting yourself in debt. Jealous. Um, yeah. <laughs> <Very> jealous. <laughs> I know that's not. It's not just like so screwed up. 
that you know what i mean like like how bad it's gotten like it's just getting progressively worse i remember when i was a teacher like um before i finished like so a lot of students were put off by the idea of going to uni just because of the the cost and like yes i know like you don't get you don't the in the uk like um unless you're meeting like a certain threshold of like income um when you get a job like they think it's like 25k or more that's when you start paying off the tuition fees i think the rule is like you have 30 years to pay it off and if you can't it gets wiped or if you die then it gets wiped <laughs> those are two, those are two tips. <laughs> honestly so i swear to god lewis like we are never going to pay off our student oh cars. yeah I'm, we, I'm, we will I'm we will well be aware. dead we will be dead and that's when it's going to be paid off we're never going to pay it off I'm no one now and then 30 years like <laughs> I, I i remember going to romania and i was like amazing like i my, i think my total wage in romania was like 15 grand a year because their currency is just like in the toilet right and uh yeah, I remember getting a letter from student. They found me in Romania, and they were like, <laughs> "And they're like, listen, uh, we don't know. Like, they basically were like, right, we don't care that you're in Romania. We we're gonna do like a calculation on your wage, and you still won't pay us." So I ended up basically paying what I pay now, essentially. But while I was in Romania on a smaller wage, um, and yeah, that they they got to me. Like, even if like. You're, you're on a lower pay in a different country the way it works for overseas payments for student loan is they will literally they, it doesn't matter they'll go by the relevant like uh countries like threshold so basically i was on like 15 grand a year equivalent um in in pounds right and i was paying yeah. like 50 quid um a month to my student loan or whatever it's gone up a bit now but um like at my new job but like when i started at cig for example i was paying 50 quid as well but i was earning like pretty much double um the salary so yeah it's messed up if you go abroad like <laughs> don't do it <laughs> well i've got i've got that to look forward to <laughs> student loans going oh, yeah. knock on my door um if you if you so they'll send you a letter once a year and they basically want like free like pay slips um and like the second year i was in in romania i i basically had like a, a pay rise um but i sent them free pay slips from just before the pay rise so they based it on my old pay so i ended up like getting away with that which was good but yeah still not <laughs> ideal they'll be coming for you next mate <laughs> <laughs> but yeah in my third year of uni um i i t i did a module because you can do like 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 an extra module um in your third year, like like optional ones, and I I, I did a tr uh, a teaching module because I'm a bit of a realist. I think um I was kind of like I was like to have a plan B, uh -huh. so I was kind of like okay if I can't get into the industry in any way shape or form like as an artist or whatever I can become a teacher. I guess it's that old adage of like those who can't do teach sort of thing. I definitely lived up to that. Um, so I took that module and I kind of got like a bit of a taste of teaching. I was like, oh, okay, this is this is quite interesting. I I think I did well, I think I volunteered like one day a week at Bradford College because I knew Maz, and he was like, oh yeah, you know, you can come in like be like teaching support and stuff. Um, so when I finished uni, I think I I got my first job in the industry as a QA tester for TT Games. Mm -hmm. Um, I think I applied like a month just before I graduated, not graduated, sorry, when I, when, I fin when the course finished, um, and they offered me the job. It was a contract, um, as like a lot of QA jobs can be like six months in Manchester. Um, at a time I didn't, I couldn't drive. So I had to take like the coach and buses and that was, my God, that was hell. <laughs> that was, that was rough. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> <laughs> at the time I didn't mind. Like, I think like, 
TT Games, like the they they essentially had like a twenty four hour QA department, which I thank I thankfully they don't think they have anymore. Um, where it was like, okay, everyone has to do like two weeks of morning shifts and two weeks of evening shifts, and you have to do one week of a night shift. Um, and there were actually a couple of people that were permanent night shift that actually chose to do it, and I was one of them because it was easier for me to get to Manchester and to get home <laughs> on a night shift than it was in the other evening shifts. Um, I didn't mind actually. It was pretty good. Like uh, Zan, who was at the the shift lead, he was really chill. It was a very chill like five six months. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I worked on Lego Dimensions. Um, Yo! You know, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I worked on that first year of it. Um, six months of it. it was it was it was fun. I actually quite liked that game. Um, I think I did like one month. My last month, I worked on Lego Marvel Avengers. Um, I never really kind of mentioned that one because it was literally like a month. Most of my time was on dimensions but mm-hmm. um sadly my I, I said sadly i said sadly but actually in hindsight probably a good thing i didn't my contract didn't get renewed um i got told that a week before my contract expired so <laughs> that was great <laughs> that was that was that was fun yeah, um <laughs> so yeah i was out of a job for a bit uh, i was trying to develop my portfolio a little bit so i was like okay maybe i could try to become like a, a junior artist and then i got a a message on Facebook from Maz who taught me at college. He knew that I was interested in becoming a teacher and he was like, hey there's a job going at Wakefield College. They need like a, a temp uh, lecturer because their lecturer is going and they need someone to kind of like replace for the rest of the year. And I was like, oh, okay, sure, I'll I'll do that. And that's where I met my good friend uh, Matthew Horsfall who is now the uh, games curator at the National uh, Science and Media Museum in Bradford. Um, I think even for like the 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 northern area actually, as well. Um, so yeah, so I I I was shadowing him, and I took over his class when he left. Um, and then I took on some teaching hours at Bradford College because uh, Maz and Marion, who were like the senior lecturers there, they became sick like long term, and Liam was like the only dude like holding it up. <laughs> like, like he had like level twos and level a bunch of level threes, and it's just like it's it's one man like having to hold everything together, and I was like. Yeah, sure. I'll take on some extra hours. I, I need the money, <laughs> <laughs> and um, that was definitely like a baptism by fire kind of moment because it was like it was kind of all over the place. And it's not the students' fault, and it's not the lecturers' fault. You know, they got sick, and the students didn't really have like lecturers that knew what they were doing because they, they had like temp, like they had like substitute teachers just come in, but they didn't know the subject. Yeah. So it's like, how do you, how, how are they going to like teach it to them? And I remember my first day when I got to Bradford College, I asked students okay how, where are we at and it's like oh we need to do like um we need to do like our presentations uh for our game ideas and stuff and i tried to get them to do it and then i realized oh they haven't got anything planned and i was like that first day like right everyone let's get on with it let's just get let's just do this like i took it seriously like like it was like i was a full-time lecturer i didn't kind of mess around or anything mm-hmm. um and like a lot of the students were, were really nice and i really enjoyed teaching them and it was because of i think one particular group um like I, I fell in love with them i i really liked hanging out with them and teaching them i was like you know what? i want to be a teacher for a while i want to stay at Bradford college and see these see these lot through to second year and then on to uni um so i stayed there for about three and a half years teaching i mainly taught uh 3d modeling because i knew i didn't have enough knowledge to teach at a he level i knew that but i had enough to teach people who were starting off um and i and i think for me teaching really pushed me to improve my art skills um again they're nothing to boast you can look at my art station it's not great 
but I, it really made me want to be better. Like I, I taught myself Substance Painter. I learned the PBR workflows because I was teaching them the older one, but then I realized, no, I can't be out of date. I need to try to be as up-to-date as possible. So I taught myself that. I re-taught myself how to rig. I was trying to keep up-to-date as much as possible. I'd go out and actually get like guest speakers in as well. Um, so I was really kind of like putting my all into it. Um, so yeah, I, I, I was doing that for a bit. I I had a... Uh, do I want to say? Yeah, I can talk about it. I've talked about it to people before. Like, I'll, I had a bit of um, like a mental health cry. I get crisis. I don't know what the word would be really, to be honest. But like, it teaching got a bit too much for me. Mm-hmm. Like, I had one, I had one really bad year where I just became really sad, angry, and bitter. Like, you know me. Like, you know when we work at Cloud. Like, you know I'm pretty much like happy go lucky and that kind of stuff. I'm like. Yeah. relatively chill but I, I there was a point in my life where i wasn't that i was very very de- I, I don't know if it's depressed i don't know if i was depressed or not but i was i was in a bad place like everyone who's talked to me just think i was just like this angry dude and then i kind of like realization that like this job is changing me in a bad way and like i started going to counseling i was like i need a new change in my life mm-hmm. and i was like i want to get back into the games industry because if my students aren't really appreciating what i'm doing and if i'm taking it too much to heart and it's it's jeopardizing my mental health i need to do something that i love and i want it to go back in the industry and i tried applying for like a bunch of places i think i had 50 applications and all, all got rejected um which was tough because i felt like i had enough knowledge to be able to transition from like you know being a teacher to like maybe being a producer or assistant producer but like Nothing was coming up, and I tried to get like a few QA places. Um, and one day, like I had an email from Lucas, you know, the talent acquisition yeah, person. Yeah. Um, <laughs> he was like, "Hey, we've got like a QA opening," and I was like, "Are you interested?" I'm like, "Yeah, like g- give me the test and stuff." And I did it. Um, and thankfully, I got employed at um, Cloud Imperium, and I was there for like was it over, just a little over three and a half years in in QA. Started off as like a QA tester. Then, then three months into my job, moved into embedded. I was embedded for like all that time since. Um, and yeah, as as I mentioned earlier, uh, now work at No Breaks. And how was was it the change that that fixed fixed it all and turned you back to that happy go lucky like? Absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> like immediately when you started, like yeah, yeah. I think once I realized in myself, like I needed that change. Like I started to open up a bit more to like my friends and family about any issues I was going through. Mm-hmm. Being back in the game industry, being like a part of it again, like you know, being involved in the process was a lot of fun. I remember like one of my friends, Adil, who's a teacher as well. He said to me, I think it was like after I left, he goes like, "You were always suited for the industry. I don't think you were suited to be a teacher." I think now I could probably go back to be a teacher and be like relatively chill. I'm a bit more. I'm not as like uptight as I used to be, mm-hmm. but like, I'm happy to go in and do like little lectures here and there and talk about it. I don't think I could be a teacher again because all the admin stuff is just too much. <laughs> it's hard, man. I, I think teachers, like, some some people, like, kind of look down on it. And I'm, like, honestly, like, I, I, I obviously dabble in, like, doing, like, short presentations and stuff, and I'll, like, pop in and, like, do the odd session. But, like, teaching's hard, man. I, I could never do it. Like, I've done a few secondary schools, and, like, honestly, the the 
the amount of skill those people have, um, just not only be able to control the class, but having the respect of the, the kids and like, you know, being able to communicate on that level, like commu- communicating across different like skill groups is so difficult. Like, I feel like I'm really bad at translating kind of what my skills are to, to, you know, someone at, you know, at a college level, not so much, but then when it goes to like, you know, secondary school level, being able to like understand like how to interpret things to, to that kind of knowledge level is like so difficult for me. And I just, I find it really hard sometimes to talk to um, children on that level. Um, whereas teachers, you know, they come in, they just, they can adapt to like, you know, any class, like any, any topic and, and, you know, just, I've, I've got so much respect for, for teachers and, and it's, I think with your, with your skill set, the way you are, I, I think honestly, you're, you're so suited to the industry and like the industry keeps you up to date, but you also, you're able to go and be, be flexible with the different initiatives you work in. And like, like I see you do so much and honestly like i think this is the best place for you to be um because as a teacher like i'm sure you did great during that time but yeah like you know i feel like teachers do get taken for granted so when you're in that position you know sometimes the students will like not understand the kind of like kind of appreciate the work that goes on behind the scenes to keep that information current right whereas when someone you know when a shiny pokemon comes in from a games company right with all their their cool trailers and their like free merch and stuff it's suddenly like it's huge for them <laughs> so i think it's like the best of both worlds when you're in the industry and you can give back to education as well because you get like you know you don't have to deal with the difficulty of like you know ungrateful kids sometimes <laughs> um <laughs> yeah so I, yeah a thousand percent i think it, it's great that you're definitely like i mean I, I wouldn't have taken you for someone that like ever got angry or like you you are always smiling you're always cheerful and you just like you know everyone speaks highly of you and honestly like when you left I was like pretty good because I obviously I didn't get to know you that well um I know you like a little bit but yeah like I'm grateful for you coming on to talk to me today because you know I get to I get to learn more about you I get to have a bit of a chat and yeah like it, I I already feel like. I feel I feel a lot happier now that we've reconnected a little. <laughs> no, I'm glad. Like I, I, I it's, uh, yeah, it's, yeah, it's been, it's been like a lot, lot of fun. I love like talking about like, um, like just the games, like the games industry. Like I said earlier, like, like I do have like I think even if you speak to like a lot of like ex like teachers, they'll they'll tell you the same thing. Like they miss being in like the classroom, like. Mm-hmm doing that is always like it's, it's so fulfilling and it's so great when it works um it's just all the other stuff um that's why i like going into schools and talking talking about games especially like kind of like advocating like you know games being like a legitimate career path because i think like probably less so now but like a lot of people when they think about like what's a quote-unquote legit job they'll think about like you know doctors nurses lawyers construction or whatever <laughs> it's like games isn't really seen as like a a a a a valid career path and that's why i kind of maybe become like a stem ambassador because i was like i want to tell kids that this is a this is a possibility like you can do this and it's not just like especially like highlighting that like it's not just like programmers artists and designers that work in the games industry i always try to promote like any anyone at any level in any like sort of job role or discipline 
in a games company is a game developer they are a part of the industry and it's like you don't just have to think about like just these four i guess active development roles mm-hmm. there are multiple multitudes of different roles that people can be a part of i think like one of your previous like um guests mentioned like you know the hit, hit makers um website they got like a big list like hey here's all different jobs in the games industry and like <laughs> I, I tried to promote that as much as possible as well especially to kids yeah building that understanding is like super super important and and the stem stuff as well like yeah i even forgot to mention the stem stuff um just getting involved and and yeah just being able to say right like this this thing you do when you go home after school when you jump on your your console and play video games people make this like this is a valid career path like there are hundreds of these jobs out there and if you want to do it um you know you work hard you can do this it doesn't necessarily like i remember doing like a we did like a stem career talk and you know there's there's a lawyer there's like a civil engineer and like and then i join and they're like what (laughs) i can do games (laughs) and yeah like you show them all that you know the different roles and suddenly the, the cogs start turning and you know something that is like a short you know 10 minute talk for you like is the beginning of something beautiful for someone else and it's, i think it's, it's fulfilling this I, I love it i absolutely love it i think it's really important to like do it especially from like a young age like like you were saying earlier like it's hard to kind of like talk to young kids i had that same issue as well when it comes to because like i usually talk to like 16 to 18 plus sort of students so like yeah when i first started doing like stem stuff like it's talking to like kids who are like well like youngest being like seven eight to like 10 years old that's really hard like because you have to kind of like you have to kind of simplify things a bit to kind of make them understand and so like i'd always use examples of like games that they've played of like oh has anyone played minecraft or played like uh super mario maker and stuff and it's like once you kind of like they have that connection like oh okay oh so like it's like that isn't it like you know when you make a level in in those sort of things um because i think like one of the problems we have as well especially like when it comes to like diversity within the games industry like we want to push that we want to have like you know we want more we want more diverse like genders and like people of color that kind of stuff but it's like if you're only talking to students who are at college at university who are already studying those courses it's like the pool's already small you have to inspire you have to inspire people from like a younger age and showing them that this is a possibility that's why i that's why i do it as well like there when i was a teacher my my classes were primarily sort of cis white white dudes. Mm-hmm. There's nothing wrong with that. That's fine. But it's like you know, I'm in Bradford. Bradford like, has a huge population of like South Asian people. You know, there's a lot of like Pakistanis, Indians who live there, and it's like I don't see that in my classroom. It's like this, like you know, it's it's mainly just guys. And maybe once in a while, I might have, like I might have someone who identifies as female in the class, and maybe like one or two um, Asian lads. That's that's about it. It's like you know. Where's my, where's my brothers and sisters? Like, where? And it's like, if if young kids can see that, to be like, you know, especially if seeing myself, and I get like, you know, you see me, and my my complexion's a bit more white because I'm dual heritage. But it's like, I want to, I I really wanted to be that person to kind of, I'm hope hoping to inspire a young kid to see that like, you can work in this industry. Mm-hmm. Like that's the most important thing. I remember once I went on a hike. Um, with my friends and right in front of us there was this little kid like I think it was like seven eight years old he turned to me and he said oh sir I remember you came to our class and talked about video games and that just like really moved me I'm like oh my god you actually remembered me like I don't know if that kid's gonna grow up to be like a game developer or not but the fact that he remembered me just meant so much like you like 
sometimes we, we forget like the small little like interaction we have with people can just completely change people's lives like i know this isn't like games related but like when i was in year seven i had a, a teacher mr goodyear who sadly passed away like uh, i think a few years ago um he put on howl's moving castle and that got me into anime and if he had never done that i would have never met some of the friends i've met online because i met so many amazing people online like my my good friend rob who we used to chat about anime and do silly beauty videos when we were like teenagers and we're still friends to this day. If I, if, if my teacher never did that, I would have never met him. You know, it, it, you don't know like what impact you can have on someone just by, you know, being there, talking to them or inspiring them. And it's, it's, it, yeah, it's amazing. It's crazy. It's absolutely crazy. I've had, I've had similar interactions with like, um, not, not, not like, um, you know, uh, students from stem talks but like from from university specifically sometimes like i feel guilty i'm really bad with like names and stuff sometimes um and you know i'll have someone pop up to me and say you know um trying to think now but um i'll have someone pop up in my inbox for like some feedback or something and then they'll say something like um i yeah i don't know if you remember like the first year you ran like uh the game dev society like um, I was in that talk and like, yeah, we, we spoke and you gave me some feedback then and it really helped me to like, to guide me to, to, to improve my work. And I'm, it, this, this would have happened like two years, three years before. And sometimes I just completely forget. But, you know, when you, when you do like a bunch of stuff like that, like whether it be like small presentations for different schools or colleges or, or, you know, a quick 10 minute, 20 minute call online over discord or something, um, you will event, you know, I'm sure you you affect people in in different ways um and in different places and you know s- small or big the effect um sometimes it it, it it they eventually come back and like they'll remind you and it's like oh wow did I actually do that <laughs> it's like uh you know someone reaching out from college like oh yeah like um we, we you know we, we we had a class in college together and like yeah like um just reconnected now I've met, I've I've gone to work here and stuff and yeah it's crazy like honestly life's crazy and the industry is so <laughs> small as well like you, you'll reconnect with people like <laughs> that you like went to uni with and like they're halfway across the world and then and then sometimes they end up like i think there are so many people at cig now that i used to um that i went to uni with um and people that i've like met across the industry like um i invited um there's a lead at um at cig at the moment john griffiths um i don't know if he was working there when you when you were there still yeah um but but yeah like i remember i used to watch him live streaming and stuff when he was doing live streams um when he first got into the i, I think he used to be a no actually i might have been thinking of someone else but i i know he, he got into the industry i think he was at tt um for a bit and he he came and did a talk at my university and he really inspired me i used to watch his live streams um and then they yeah then he ended up at my work and now i'm i'm like i was in a meeting with him today and i was just thinking to myself like wow like it, this has come full circle i used to watch him live streaming in a unicorn onesie he used to wear a <laughs> unicorn onesie on his live stream sometimes and now he's sat like you know running this big serious meeting about like you know what he's working on and stuff and i'm like wow what you know God, I'd love to see John in a, in a unicorn. Bro, it's out there. You should, you should have... be out there on that Twitch channel somewhere, dude. Find it. I'll, I'll, I'll see if I can dig it out. But yeah, like full circle, man. It's yeah, it, 
it really is like quite small like i remember like my first day at uh, cloud imperium like as a qa tester i was quite nervous because like obviously i need i need to kind of like make friends with people and like as soon as i walked in there were like three or four people that i remembered from tt games and i and i didn't even i haven't worked there in like three years and they recognized me like oh i remember you you worked at tt for like i know they're there for like six months and but there were like four people there that i recognized <laughs> it's it's amazing how it just comes full circle now. um absolutely and, and and to be honest like the further the further we get in our careers it's probably gonna like that's probably gonna happen way more as well like it, it's just it's yeah I'll I'll leave it there. <laughs> it's just <laughs> it really does baffle me. Um, just before we finish up, um, there is like a, yeah, I'm I'm sure you've heard it because you, you you're a long time listener. I I hear I hear from the DMs. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but um, I usually yeah I usually ask um, what if you could go back and give yourself three pieces of advice. Um, what would those three pieces of advice be? Oh, okay. This is a good, this would be a good one. Um, I think one would be to um, properly vet what courses that you go on uh, at university because there is an issue where a lot of universities will just like slap on like a couple of modules onto a course and then just say it's a game course when it really isn't. Um, and making sure like the people that are teaching you like they have like sort of the relevant skills needed i mean my, my tutors did but they were a bit outdated obviously i mentioned like you know because of the the jump in to pbr and stuff so just making sure that like double checking what courses you're going on to maybe even check if they're like affiliated with like say yuki or tiger for instance because that gives it gives it a bit more levity it's like if they have connections with the industry because then you can benefit from that um I think as an add-on to that is like join IGDA because <laughs> you can get like three months mentorship as part of that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the International Game Development Association. Yes, I actually remember the acronym. I started, I was like, <laughs> oh, I was like, I'm trying to see if I remember. I was like, Indie Game Dev Association. No, <laughs> no. But yeah, like, um, yeah, I, I, I always look for the, the T or Mark and, and just checking like, uh, I guess where what experience your lecturers have because I think some of the courses have like a section that's like this is who will be teaching you and like this is what they've worked on and like I think anything like fairly recent is good to go for as long as they're not like I guess PS2 era type uh, projects they've worked on previously maybe I think my second piece of advice uh, would be to know where to find games jobs because i didn't learn that until like my very last year of university um and it wasn't that i tried to teach my students as well whether or not they actually took that on board or not is a totally different thing but it's like there are so many different ways of like learning of like what jobs are out there um you know that you got like you have like game dev map like there's like different sort of interactive maps to kind of like learn of like not just game um development studios but publishers and also like outsourcing companies because i think a lot of people forget that there are like service companies that like like not say like um, i think keywords is one that work alongside like you know bigger publishers and developers um mm-hmm. that because because that is a, another way to get into the industry is is doing that kind of work because everyone just thinks oh yeah i want to work at riot rockstar ubisoft and they forget like there's a whole like subset of developers that support these big triple a companies <laughs> you know you look at any game 
and there's going to be some sort of outsourcing company that has helped support that game in some way, shape, or form. So just realizing that that's an opportunity as well to be a part of the part of the industry. Um, I'm trying to think of ones that like other people haven't mentioned because like the only thing that's coming <laughs> to my mind is net- networking. But we've already talked about networking. <laughs> I guess the main thing is just like make games. Um, just experiment. Like it, even if they're rubbish, like just you know try it out, give it a go. Um, yeah, just keep expanding your knowledge and your mind as much as possible. Wise words. Just not with Unity. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's, that's that's really cool. Like, um, you know, even even if points get mentioned multiple times, it's fine. It's it's all about like, it's all about your journey, dude, and what you you think is valuable and would have been valuable to you because you know this is the whole point of this is like, I wanna, I wanna show all of the different experiences and you know how varied it is because there is no one set route right like you said like you know a lot of people will just apply for those big studios i'm one of them i'm one of them um i went for all the big studios and like didn't get any luck and then i was like right i'm gonna apply for all the big studios but overseas because <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah like i didn't even think about stuff like you know outsourcing and stuff but obviously there's loads like um there's loads of them um especially now there's more and more popping up as well and like there's options like you know Decagon, for example, you can like work fully remote anywhere in the world for Decagon, do like contract work and stuff like that. And there's other there's other stuff like that available too. Um, but yeah, like search far and wide, search far. I and probably, wide. If if it's alright, I might like do one more piece of advice. Yeah, I think yeah, go for, it, for like for like specifically like UK audiences is like um, when it comes to working abroad, like just know that if you're trying to work within Europe, it's gonna be difficult. <laughs> because it's not as easy anymore because of like post yeah. Brexit because like I'm one of like the first like hires like after like freedom movement has kind of uh, has kind of gone so if like if you're trying to get like work abroad you need to make sure that you are exemplary because the hassle that those companies have to go through to get you over there like they'll have to like maybe double take to be like is it worth bringing you bringing you over or can we find someone else within the within the EU that's like that's not a worry like. I had to think about until more recently <laughs> yeah. when wanting to try to apply for jobs abroad but it's like you know is that going to be a factor for like why you might not get chosen for a role in europe now it's the same in it's the same in america as well like you know america and canada don't really accept anyone below like i guess senior level or lead level because it's just not like they will they also i think they also have to like justify to the government why it they want someone to come over as well, um, which is why they, I, I believe they look for like master students and stuff or equivalent because that just helps with their process. I think um, that, I think that's one reason why like it's probably worth even going for like a, a degree. Like I understand like for the <laughs> games industry, it's, it's mostly like portfolio based, but having that degree can help when it comes to like work, wanting to work abroad because, you know, it gives you that sort of extra bit of like, leeway or advantage or whatever yeah because it's like on paper it's like directly comparable to like their own qualifications right absolutely they're all like ranked against each other and stuff so wow we got you got four pieces of advice for the price of three <laughs> lucky <laughs> listeners lucky listeners thanks for joining me um Arun. i really appreciate you taking the time um and and yeah like i i deeply regret not talking to you more while you were at cig but um 
yeah, I, I definitely will we'll keep in touch over socials and stuff, obviously. Um, and yeah, just thanks for coming and sharing your experiences. Um, oh, I really appreciate okay. it. You literally introduced me to like, like it was it was through you that I found like Limit Break and got involved with that. And um, yeah, I was just seeing all the stuff you were doing, and I was like, damn, like I could be contributing too. <laughs> so, <laughs> so yeah, like thanks because I'm I, I do the STEM STEM stuff now as well, and and yeah, like it's it is really fulfilling. So. And, and also it's helping me build not only my social skills, but my organization, my planning, you know, being able to build like events and stuff. And yeah, it's been, it's been great. So I have a lot to will, thank you for. <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to say like that, that genuinely means a lot. Like I've had a few people say that to me and like my imposter syndrome just says to me, like, I can't believe people are actually like listening to me <laughs> or like seeing what I'm doing and actually being inspired. It's really nice to hear like, 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 um, that I, like help motivate people to like do these sort of things it's it's really nice and thank you so much for having me on and just before we end this this podcast is sponsored by water the concept of water drink it <laughs> are you gonna do a, an outro for us this evening <laughs> I, well, I forgot the actual one yeah, the, yeah you can play the actual one okay i'll play the actual one or just sample the one from the beginning that you did for us <laughs> <laughs> excellent Thank you everyone um who's been listening so far. Um this was this was episode ten, so hooray, milestone, episode ten. Um Double digits. We made it. We made it, gang. Um further than I thought I'd get to be honest. Um but yeah, thank you so much um to everyone who listens on the regular and, and, and you know, new listeners alike. Um I hope you're really enjoying the content and stuff like that. Um yeah, it means a lot. So please um, you know, like like the podcast, share it to all your game dev friends um even if you're a game dev and you fancy coming on sharing your story or maybe you're a you know a game dev student and you want to share your journey up until now like this is why we're here we're here to kind of show these different origin stories and and you know build awareness for how you can get into the game industry and, and good habits and learnings to take from from people that have been there too so thank you everyone so much for listening um it's been the game dev origins podcast with me lewis thompson and our guest today harun Thank you all so much for having me. Uh, I hope this wasn't too chaotic. <laughs> we love chaos, mate. We love chaos. <laughs> See you later, bro. Bye.